don't know who to vote for tonight I got the feeling that something ain't right And the media is lying on the air And I'm wondering how to get y'all to care And TV to the left of me, Neocon to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you Welcome back to the second episode of Stuck in the Middle. I'm your host, Blake, joined by my co-host, Josh. Hey, hey. We hope you enjoyed the first episode. We've gotten some great feedback on the, the content that we uh, that we discussed and talked about. So we really appreciate that. Keep that coming. Um, in this second episode, we really want to kind of handicap what happened in the 2019 election just a couple of days ago. But as we're coming on the air, we're actually reading headlines that uh, Michael Bloomberg, the former New York City mayor and billionaire uh, financial guru, financial mogul, has decided to file paperwork to run for president in the state of Alabama, which has a presidential filing deadline of tomorrow. So we're, we're going to cover a little bit of, of, of uh, Mayor Bloomberg deciding to possibly jump into the race. Then we'll, in our second segment, discuss about the 2020 election head-to-head, what, it's gonna, what the strategy might look like when the Democrats and Republicans go head-to-head in that race. And uh, as always, please send your suggestions for future episodes. Goal is to try to record these episodes a few times a month uh, to bring you content that you can enjoy. So, Josh, as we, as we uh, look at the headline, you know, we've been seeing... Uh, Mayor Bloomberg toying with the idea of running for president for a while. He's kept his name out in the out in the media. He's he's tried to generate some attention so people kind of get some buzz about him. But what do you make of him deciding to run for president? I'm looking at him as you know it'd be a great one-on-one matchup with Donald Trump, given the fact that he is also a billionaire from New York, uh, sort of made his money in the financial industry, knows a thing or two about money. Trump's big, you know, pitch has been on the economy that the economy is strong. So, what do you make of him entering the race? Uh, well, I immediately would pick him over Trump, like hands down, no, no problem. Uh, I think him entering the race is going to be interesting to see on the Democratic side because you see the Democratic side moving further and further left and identity politics and all that, and he's very big. A, being down the middle. I mean, he's switched back and forth between Republican and Democrat whenever it suited him. Um, so that might actually go against him in the primary, but obviously it would be a big uh, plus in the general. So that's, that's, I would vote for him, but will Democrats vote for him? That's so the question. The question is, uh, he, you're thinking he might have a hard time in the in the primary election because, as we see in every presidential election, both on the Democratic and Republican side, people try to run for a, run on one side or the other, and then they sort of become a centrist candidate or try to become as centrist as possible in the general election. So, do you think the Democratic Party would not consider a centrist candidate like like Bloomberg in the primary? Well, um, there's a ton of people that will, but there's also a ton of people that are just like saying billionaires themselves are evil. In the fact that they're billionaires, they've done evil things, and they're accumulating wealth at an evil level, and so there, there's this whole eat the rich movement. And I think that's actually going to be a disadvantage in the general election. I mean, uh, you know, we can have a discussion on should billionaires pay more in taxes, or should they, should they uh, contribute more to society? But demonizing rich people is not necessarily a winning strategy. Um, you know, people with money and people with means are those that employ people, those that. Uh, 
make investments in the future and and allow others to have jobs. So well, some of them, some there's, of them, there's, yes. There's good rich rich people and there's uh, bad rich people. Just like there's good poor people and good exactly. and bad poor people. So you can always pull whatever suits you to hold them up and be like, oh, look at this, he's an evil billionaire. Or, look at this, he's an evil poor person. You know, but but it, but if we're talking about the fact that we know that Donald Trump will be be the nominee and he is a billionaire himself. Does Bloomberg have advantage to say, you know what, you're not the only billionaire in this race? Will it be a sort of clash of the billionaires if he gets elected? If he if he's if he's the nominee? Yeah, I mean, it, you would have the clash of the billionaires, and I think Bloomberg wins that easy. He's obviously the better businessman. He's obviously been the more upstanding businessman. He hadn't done all the shady stuff, and the you know. All, like I don't want to get into a whole thing about all Trump's shady business dealings, but like, you know, you scratch under the surface a little and you're like, oh, you know, versus Bloomberg, you know, I'm sure he's got skeletons in his closet too. Sure. But I mean, immediately you have to think, okay, this guy's got uh, a better head on his shoulders business wise and foreign policy wise. He'll be able to talk without, you know, sounding like a buffoon half the time. So, I mean, I, I think Bloomberg versus Trump, Bloomberg wins that easy. Right. But but we, but we for Bloomberg to be the nominee, he has to wade through the Democratic primary yeah. and uh, actually make it as a candidate. So, you know, my initial thoughts are that Bloomberg would really be sort of a, he would sort of eat some of Joe Biden's votes, maybe some of Mayor Pete's votes, uh, a little bit of Klobuchar as well. He becomes that centrist candidate. And uh, you said you don't think he has some of the name recognition as others do. Um, I'm just trying to look outside of like in in my line of work, I see his name every day. But I'm trying to say outside of my line of work, it does he have the name recognition to be able to jump in this late and immediately qualify for debates and all that? And so that's why we called our wives and asked them. Uh, yes, what we they, did. <laughs> and actually, both of them knew of, of him in general terms, yeah, but couldn't very really. Vaguely. They couldn't. They couldn't say much about him. Go beyond kinda, the surface. So and, he does have name recognition. He just they didn't know like what he was about or anything. Well, I, I'm. I'm not surprised that he's going to run as a Democrat if he decides to run. Uh, you and I talked about this. Independence, you know, they can spend all the money in the world, have all the financial backing in the world, but in the two-party system that we're in right now, it's almost impossible or it's virtually impossible for an independent to gain traction. They would just split the vote among the parties and uh, one of the candidates would win, the independent having no chance. So, you know, uh, for those of you listening, uh, Michael Bloomberg filing papers tomorrow in Alabama does not mean he is running for president, but Alabama has the earliest filing deadline for filing paperwork to run for office. So uh, the news is reporting that he is going to go ahead and file that paperwork to keep his options open. You do have to think that he's going to make a decision within the next you know, two to four weeks because the primaries, uh, the Iowa caucus, I believe, is in February and you've got Super Tuesday in early March. So if he doesn't really make a decision by Thanksgiving, I think he's not going to be a viable candidate. If you want my honest opinion, I think he's he's uh, really still toying with the idea of running because he doesn't like that he sees Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren as some of the top tier candidates. He is, as Josh mentioned, he was a Republican in his previous life, uh, <laughs> and he also registered as an independent, and he's now registered again as a Democrat. So he is sort of a malleable candidate, uh, but he does not adhere to any of these um, progressive ideas that um, – 
that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are pushing for. So that might give them a little bit of trouble in the in the primary election. So stay tuned on, on Michael Bloomberg. I'm intrigued by that. When we were getting ready to, to uh, record this and we saw this headline, we knew we had to had to discuss it. So, um, Josh, did you happen to see the, the 2019 elections from Tuesday? Um, as you know, this is an off-cycle election. Uh, we didn't have any big elections in Texas other than constitutional amendments. We didn't have any people on the ballot, but that's not the case for other states. So Kentucky, Mississippi, Virginia, I think they even had some races in Pennsylvania. But the headline coming out of that election is twofold. The first headline really is you saw that Andy Bashir took down Matt Bevan in a statewide contest for governor. And we'll talk about that a little bit. And then in Virginia, the, the Virginia legislature at the state level is Democrat for the first time in uh, really a quarter century. And that's important for several reasons that we'll get into. But uh, Josh, I just want your initial reactions on the Kentucky race. It, it did did Bevin lose because of Trump? Did he almost win because of Trump? Uh, did he lose because Bashir's popular? What's going on there? Uh, you know, I, I really don't know enough about uh, Kentucky politics to, to weigh in on this. I would say that Trump probably didn't help him, but I don't know that he hurt him either because, you know, you're, He's kind of got his base kind of built in there. So and Bevin he, wasn't popular to begin with. He's kind of shot himself in the foot right. up until this point. So, you know, and that's what Trump's going to fall back on. I was like, hey, we tried our best to help him, but, you know, he, he really, you know, he was wildly unpopular and I just couldn't help him enough. His case know. is strength. Trump's, Trump has a point if you look at the other elections. I mean, the lieutenant governor, the attorney general, those other elections uh, in particular in Kentucky, they went to the Republican Party. So the other five, I think it was five out of six statewide races were won by Republicans. But Donald Trump won Kentucky in 2016 by 30% and Matt Bevin lost by about a percent. So he's asked for a re-canvassing, but you know this. Yeah, they still don't have his official check mark there. I guess because that's he's he's asking for a recount or whatever. Yeah, he's asking for. I guess in Kentucky they call it a recanvassing, mm -hmm. and if the recanvassing doesn't go to the candidate satisfaction, then they can ask for the state legislature to decide the election. In Kentucky, the state legislature is a Republican controlled, so it'd be you know likely that they'd want to choose Bevin, but then they'd get major backlash from their voters. Uh, you know when they voted against him, you know. Bashir is that name is not unknown in Kentucky either. I should also point out that Steve Bashir was the governor of Kentucky uh, previously to Matt Bevan, and he's a Democrat. So there are some other factors in play. The Bashir name is a popular name. You know, it's almost like the Bush name in Texas is still a respected name. So you know that that race did shock a lot of people. People still thought Bevan was going to be able to pull it out, especially because Trump went and campaigned for him the night before. But and it was pretty close. What is that? Five thousand votes. Five thousand votes or less out of what, like a million and a half that were cast. Yeah. How many were cast? Uh, yeah, right at uh, what is that? One point four. Yeah, so a million and a half people, five thousand, less than a percentage point. I mean, it's a close race by any stretch of the imagination. So, you know, uh, I suspect that if you if you align with Donald Trump, you're going to consider it a victory. You're going to say, well, this Matt Bevin guy wasn't a popular candidate and Trump almost got him across the finish line. If you don't like Donald Trump, you're going to say, look at what happened in Kentucky. Uh, you know, Republicans beware. So I think it really doesn't change anybody's mind about the election. It reinforces your opinion, as does really anything in politics, right? <laughs> anything in the world, everybody's susceptible to confirmation bias. Yeah, absolutely. There's major confirmation bias going on in this election. So, um, 
um, you know, share us your thoughts on the election, uh, you know, in Kentucky. It's definitely an interesting race with a lot of different components. The other more intriguing or the other intriguing, not more intriguing, but the other interesting race is what happened in Virginia. So in Virginia, they already had a Democratic governor who had said some controversial things uh, that riled up some of the Republicans. And, uh, you know, his popularity, you know, took a little bit of a hit from that. But, you know, despite all that was going on in Virginia, that state went solidly blue on Tuesday night. So you see that the state Senate, the state House, and now the governor's mansion are all, you know, run by Democrats. And the, the uh, I guess, significant part of that is that, ne that 2020 is the census, right? And we know that the state legislatures get to draw the boundaries for congressional districts. So if you, if you have a state Senate and a state House that's controlled by Democrats, you hear a lot about gerrymandering, both from Democrats and Republicans. You know, gerrymandering is drawing congressional districts to favor your political party. And uh, I think that's significant. You could see that that shift in, in Virginia could mean that some of the seats in Congress could be shifted because of that election. So the, the Virginia race, uh, you know, a lot of people would say, uh, I saw some talk show hosts last night saying, well, uh, the, the Virginia race is, is uh, based on some demographic changes and really not anything that the president is responsible for. But I think that's a weak response to that. To say, well, we lost the election because of demographic changes suggests really to me that well, the Republicans aren't appealing to certain demographics. And we can't just write off de certain demographics because, uh, you know, we, we don't expect to win those. That shows that you're really not appealing to a broad group of people. And I think that's a poor response. If the Republican Party is going to survive into the long term, we have to be able to appeal more broadly to people and sort of be a party of inclusivity. The Democrats have had, had, have had that advantage for a while. They have tried to broaden their tent and bring everybody under their tent and expand their party. And I don't know about you, but I don't think the Republicans have necessarily tried to do that. They've tried to appeal to a, to a certain group of people, and uh, that's not necessarily sustainable. Yeah. Uh, you say we when you say Republican. Uh, I assume that's because you consider yourself a Republican, but I'm a, I'm no longer consider myself a Republican. I just want to throw that out there. I'm, I'm an that's independent. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. Uh, would you classify yourself as a right leaning independent, uh, or do so you really feel like you're stuck in the middle on multiple issues? Yeah, multiple issues really. I, I'm socially liberal, but probably uh, fiscally conservative. So oh, okay. Uh, so so truly an independent. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I was more republicanian for a while, but now the uh, the Republican Party is just it to me is is just it's lost its own way. So it's hard it's hard for me to to say yeah I'm so Republican. But I think you're right. The Republican Party has has just catered to this one particular set that they've gone after. And now as that set gets older or dies off or it, like, how do you get more people to show up? And that's one thing that they liked about Trump is like all these people who have never voted before shows up and votes for the first time. And they're like, Oh, this is, this is great for us. But now you have like in this Kentucky election, they had like what? 1 million Point five, one point five million showed up to vote, and that was how many more than last off cycles election? That was like, right, absolutely. It was like a fifty percent increase or something. So you have a lot more people showing up to vote, and is that necessarily good for the Republican Party right now? You have a lot of people saying Trump's best bet is to stop 
you know, making people mad so that as these people are showing up to vote, he's got a chance. But well, I, that, I agree with you. I mean, look at the look at the 2018 Senate election in Texas. I mean, uh, Beto O'Rourke was helped out by increased voter turnout. Ted Cruz, he knew his his campaign team knew that the higher the turnout, the lower the chance he had of winning the election. He was ultimately able to hold off Beto O'Rourke on that election. But if people continue to be fired up one way or the other, uh, generally, I think that that's going to benefit Democrats. And, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what does that look like in 2020? But, you know, the Kentucky race and the Virginia race, and really even in Mississippi. So Mississippi, solidly red state. They had a, a they had an election for governor in two, on Tuesday. And uh, we saw really that the Republican only won, I think, by 5%. Uh, that's very small percentage con considering that Mississippi is a solidly red state that backed Trump in a big way in 2016. So, you know, the Republican Party, if they're going to survive, I'm not going to say that this is a doomsday for the Republicans because, you know, there's a lot of people that still believe Donald Trump is the, you know, has an advantage in 2020, which might be true. But, you know, for the Republican Party to stay viable long term, I think they have to broaden their tent. So, um, if if any of you are listening to this, love for you to to comment on that. What does the future look like for the Republican Party? Do they need to broaden their base? Do they need to soften their stance on some issues? I mean, what do they need to do necessarily uh, as a party to to be the next generation party and uh, and compete with the Democrats long term? And and do you think that uh, Democrats are at risk in the long term? I, I mean, uh, you know, there's there's uh, uh, Democrats that are adopting progressive and pretty radical stances right now, and does, will that end up backfiring in the long run if if we keep going further and further to the left? So, are we at a, a you know watershed moment for both political parties over the next you know several years over the next couple of elections? So, feel free to to weigh in on that, and uh, we'll be right back in our next segment. We'll discuss the 2020 election head to head, and uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. Welcome back to the second segment of our second episode of Stuck in the Middle. Hope you enjoyed that first segment where we discussed the 2019 election results in a, in a few states. But uh, I want to look forward to the 2020 election. So we talked about in our first episode, you know, our inaugural episode was about the 2020 match or the, the Democratic primary in general. But I really want to look to what is it going to look like when the death settles in the primary election? When the Democrats have chosen their nominee, they've had their convention, and uh, that person is named, the VP candidate is named, what is that going to look like? So, you know, the way I see it right now is, uh, you know, incumbents, so Donald Trump being the incumbent, they typically have an advantage. And uh, that advantage is due to the fact that uh, the president has a lot of visibility, they have some influence over policy, if the economy is doing well then, you know, people tend to pay attention to that. So in 2016, Josh, the, you know, Donald Trump, he was known to the public in terms of he was a celebrity TV host. He was a, he was a known public figure, but he wasn't a known quantity in terms of him as a politician. We knew about some of the things he said, the controversies that he started, but now in 2020, he is a known candidate. We can no longer say he's not a politician, right? He's running for his second term as president. He is an incumbent president. So 
what are some of the advantages that he brings in the race? I mean, I think the first advantage is right now, again, we're a year out from the election. The first advantage is the economy is the strongest it's been in a really long time. And that can't necessarily be argued, right? Um, I think that's a big strength for him. Yeah, I mean, the economy's good. Unemployment rate's low. Uh, you do have several companies announcing layoffs uh, in my industry um, because the rate cuts um, the, from the Fed, which he's pushing for like negative interest rates, which blows my mind. But so you, you are going to have some more um, in certain industries um, layoffs and in. That might affect, you know, if this trade war keeps going on, you might see some more shaky, uh, you know, stuff in the in the economy. But for the most part, you're right; it's a very strong economy, very low unemployment, uh, and he gets a lot of credit for that, whether or not he deserves it or not. Sure, the um, president tends to get that credit, right? Yeah. And uh, th we can debate whether or not any president is worthy of that, but the president just generally enjoys that, right? Right. So that's one strength. I think the other strength is that, you know, for his base, for the conservative base, the rock-solid Republicans, what he's done with the Supreme Court, with the federal judicial nominations, I mean, he just held a press conference yesterday about the successes he's had with adding justices to the appeals courts and district courts. That, I mean, he's going to, if, if he keeps going at this pace, I read somewhere that he's going to control one for, or his judges, the judges he has appointed, will control one-fourth of the appeals courts in the United States. So that's yeah. not insignificant. Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of why I think you find a whole bunch of Republicans willing to vote for him even though he doesn't you know, necessarily appeal to them. They just want a Republican in because they understand all these other things like Supreme Court nominees, judge nominees, all these other things that come with being in power. So they're willing to look the other way with all of his, all of his uh, shortcomings. Sure. Uh, well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, his shortcomings are baked into a lot of the country, right? I mean, uh, what's, what's unique about Donald Trump is I don't think he has the ability to win over a whole bunch of new voters, Yeah. but the voters, the people that do support him, they, they, um, you know, they'll come out for him. And, and in 2020, yeah. it's going to be, do those same people, are they still energized? Are they, are they, as, are they terrified, so terrified of the Democratic Party that they have to come out and vote for Donald Trump? And so, you know, turnout for the Republican Party is going to be a, a massive factor. Yeah. Uh, he's not going to, between now and November, win over a bunch of new voters, at least in my mind, the way I look at it, I think he has the potential to turn off some voters, not win them over. Um, but, you know, the economy, the Supreme Court, the tax cuts, the people, uh, although the tariffs have been hurting the economy, a lot of people see that as a positive, see his willingness to fight China and take yeah. on China as a good thing. Because it's, it's funny because like the North Korea thing, the China thing, everyone's like, oh, look what he's done. It's like, well, if you look what he's actually done, nothing's actually happened yet. Right. But his just his willingness to fight is a breath of fresh air for some people. Yeah, and and that's uh, that I think is absolutely true. When people say, "Well, other politicians have not been willing to do this," that's yeah. actually true, right? No other president has you know levied large tariffs on China, whether they're good or bad. Well, the the funny thing is the TPP that he like. 
opposes, pulled out of, right. that he pulled out of and stopped and everything. The whole idea where there was to have some, you know, trade power as a group to force people like China and stuff to do the right thing with all this pollution and tra- uh, plastic into the ocean and all this stuff. And then he pulled out of it and he's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to fight China on my own, which... You know, he definitely had the balls to do or whatever, you know, but has it has it worked? Not yet. Well, not yet. Know. But, I mean, we see today that they, it seems like they may be getting closer, but you've seen those headlines for a while now, right? Oh, yeah. And the stock market is really sensitive to this China situation because we do so much trading with China. But back to the matchup here, I mean, uh, nobody should be naive to say that Trump is a a – will be an easy candidate to defeat. As you mentioned, those shortcomings, people look past it because they see this America first agenda as a, as a good thing. And you know, I'm, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to say that Trump shouldn't get credit for some things that's, that have been happening. Right. I mean, the economy is strong. Unemployment is low. Those are good things. And we want people to be employed. Um, but you know, I think his success is going to come down to who is the democratic nominee. I think there are yeah. other candidates that, or the, like, there are some candidates have a better chance of beating Donald Trump than others, and I think that, for example, your Elizabeth Warrens of the world, I think she is going to have a harder time defeat, defeating Donald Trump because she doesn't necessarily um, appeal to. She's a po- she's populist in terms of her bashing of billionaires and the rich, but is that going to appeal to enough people to overcome Donald Trump? Some people might say that some of her policies can negatively impact the economy, and. Yeah. That won't be a good thing. And and once they get past the primary, can they then shift um, far enough to the middle to bring in more voters? Because they are so far left right now, and they're like competing against each other about to, how to far try to left. out left everybody. <laughs> you know, it just blows me away. Where Trump doesn't have to do that. Trump somehow, as his hodgepodge of of political stances which are all over the map yeah they they don't adhere to a to a political principles really yeah. he just i mean i read that he was actually siding with the the union workers in the gm strike right so he's yeah. but then again some of his other policies are really conservative so it's you're right it's a hodgepodge but he does check all the boxes for the evangelical right you know the the pro-life the um you know Mostly a pro-life stance uh, is is the big issue there. Yeah. As, so, I mean, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but I think there's about three different boxes that he checks off that they're like, well, that's better. Religious than liberty. Yeah. So, that's better than all the Democrats for them. So, he, he said himself, this is Trump's words, he could walk out, shoot somebody. On Fifth Avenue. And, and still get reelected by 30% of his base, you know, and that base He's right. That base, they look the other way no matter what he does. Whatever he's accused of, whatever he comes out and, oh, yeah, well, I might have done that, but this is why I did it. You know, they'll back him no matter what. Right. And this little, uh, the New York Times did this poll and they say 43%, he's got 43% in the bag no matter what, no matter who runs against him right now. I actually think that's a little bit high, but I mean, the, the, you know, the, that would shock me if 43% no matter what, but you might be right. I mean, most voters have already made up their mind one way or the other, and Democrats and Republicans are going after a small slice of independence right now, right? If right. you if you poll a random 100 people, you know, off the top of my head, you might find 8 or 10 that say, you know, I'm, I could go either way. I haven't made up my mind, and those are the people that 
the candidates are going to spend their money on. So who is the person that if you had to pick uh, and maybe even throw Michael Bloomberg in since we discussed him earlier, but, yeah. but who are the, maybe the, who, the, who are the two candidates do you think that can beat Donald Trump? I think on that's the democratic the, side, the, the biggest problem with the Democrats are, uh, is that they, they do not have that candidate that just like shoots up to the front that you're like, this person would beat him hands down. However, I think, um, I think Biden has a pretty good chance, and I think Bernie has a pretty good chance. More than Elizabeth Warren? Yeah. Uh, Warren's aggressive stance against uh, billionaires, and even billionaires like uh, the one she picked a fight with the other day that I can't remember his name, but he actually does so much philanthropic stuff that is, it's like everyone was writing articles the next day saying, this is the wrong guy to attack in right. this, this situation. But um, – you know her 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 aggressive stance, and there's a lot of people that say billionaires shouldn't exist. And you know you can get into that argument if you want, but just attacking the rich across the board is is going to be a tough. There, there's people that are billionaires because they invented something, and people bought enough of it that they have billions. Yeah, like, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And like, as a society, well, we shouldn't demonize that. Yeah, like I get that there are rich people that have Bill done Gates invented like Microsoft things. Right? Yeah, but like when when someone has invented something and enough people bought it, even the Kardashian kid, what's her name? Kylie. Kylie. Yeah. Um, she started a business about like lip gloss or something. And I didn't she, expect the Kardashians to come up on her <laughs> podcast, but I, I, I can roll with it. But because of her fame and the fame of her sister and everything else, they bought like $900 million worth of lip gloss from this girl. And right. now she's a billionaire. She makes more than Kim Kardashian and everybody else now. Yeah. I mean, her, I think she's making more than all of her whole family. So to say that immediately this 18 year old girl who made $900 million is evil. I'm like, why? Because she made something that, that people a lot bought. Of, enough people bought. Like now, at that point, when you talk about progressive tax and other stuff, you can argue about different stuff that kind of makes sense there. But like the demonizing of just someone who invented some widget and someone bought it, enough people bought it. Like I, I don't get the demonization of just the rich. I get the demonization of you know people using their wealth to oppress their workers underneath it. You can even argue that Bezos with $50 billion and his, and you know, some of his employees are making, you know, not enough to live off. You could argue the, that, but sure. Absolutely. And I think there is a discussion to be had on that. And, and we want to see people, um, have a living wage and we want to see people be able to succeed. But again, what, where, where would those people be if Amazon didn't exist, right? right. They would be pursuing a job in a different, uh, different industry, different company. You know, Amazon does employ uh, millions of people or hunt at least several hundred thousand people around the world. Right. Um, so, unilaterally attacking billionaires. And I've seen really, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, and Bernie Sanders have, uh, you know, taken the stance that billionaires shouldn't exist. And um, I th while I think that we need to look at responsible tax policies, and I'm happy to have that discussion all day long, we shouldn't necessarily envy somebody's wealth, right? Yeah. Um, we want them to do the right thing, and we want companies to pay taxes. So, it, you know, as this relates to the to the primary, or I mean, not to the primary, to the general election, you know, that plays well with, with some people, right? Yeah. With uh, it, it plays well with a certain segment, far left people. But I don't think, as I've said many times, the country is not far left. So, yeah. 
if Warren or Bernie or uh, but I think Bernie has a a better way of explaining his position because um, even himself like. He made a lot of money writing a book. And yeah, what did he say? He said, "I'm a billion. I'm a millionaire because I wrote a book." Yeah, he's like, "People bought my book." So, like that explanation is still better than like, "Let's let's eat the rich." But that can be used against yeah. him, though, right? You yeah. you made millions because you wrote a book. This person made billions because they did this, right? Yeah. Um, so that might actually be used against him. Well, but I I haven't heard him take it as a aggressive stance against uh, just rich people in general just for the amount of money they have do you remember bill de blasio when he was running for mayor uh, i mean not for mayor he the mayor of new york he was a uh, a fringe candidate uh, he obviously dropped out but in one of the first debates he said you know we're going to win this election by quote taxing the hell out of the billionaires right <laughs> and um that just it plays well again with that small sliver of people that are that are um I guess quote anti-rich, um, but it doesn't necessarily play well into the into the large group of people. I mean, uh, there's a lot of people that aspire to be wealthy and aspire to the, you know the people that are that have made it. They're inspirational to people, and people want to be like them. They want to to take that next step. I mean, you see Shark Tank as being one of the top shows in the United States, and that's really about building the next entrepreneur. So, um, you know, Biden stands a chance, probably I would agree with that. It His downfall is can he stop flubbing? Can he stop saying things? That, or, or I think that's only a problem in the primary because Trump is a is just a walking, you know, flub machine. So I think they would just be out flubbing each other. But, but you know, Trump and Biden head-to-head – I think that's a coin flip, man. It like, actually it, is. A, it is. I mean, is is that down to turnout? Yeah. And, and just which and one? And how's can, the economy doing right then and there? Yeah. That that one be. I I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to bet a dollar on that one. Like Biden versus Trump. I think that could go either way. But well, to me, Biden is not an exciting candidate. Right. right. He's not somebody. He's not. He's not a. Uh, He's not a Ronald Reagan or a Barack yeah. Obama, right? With somebody that really just excites you, you're really happy to get behind him. He, to me, I see him as the candidate. Well, he's not Donald Trump, and he's, he's a moderate candidate. Choice. It's a safe choice. He's the let's let Trump derail and uh, destroy his own candidacy, and then I'll just be the safe choice over here. Sure. Mm-hmm. So the the argument about some of the progressive candidates like uh, Bernie and Elizabeth is that. Maybe they will be able to energize enough of their of their supporters that, to be able to overcome Donald Trump. But I don't think the message of, of uh, eat the rich is going to play so well in some of your swing states. Is that going to play well in Florida? I mean, can you see Elizabeth Warren really, really being competitive in Ohio? Those are what I struggle with because remember, this is not a national election. It is national in the sense that everybody gets to vote. But this is a swing state election. In the electoral college system that we have, you're going to see seven or eight states come come into play, and the other states are really going to be written off as, and presumed to be, you know, red or blue from the beginning. So, the strategy needs to be how are we, or, or the question needs to be how are we going to energize these people in these states? Yeah, it, the interesting thing about this New York Times poll, and I, I should have looked at when this was released because this might be dated. I don't know, but. Um, 
you know, that 43% that you said was high for Trump, they have that for Trump, but they have 40% for Biden or Warren. So basically anybody other than Trump and has a 40%. Right. So you're just really fighting for that middle. So I think what the Democrats are doing wrong are pushing so far left in this primary that that people are like, really, this is this is what the Democrats are. That's are the about? that's the the downfall. I mean, okay, we've talked about the uh, the their their concerns over the wealthy, but let's look at some of their other pr- proposals. I mean, you've seen Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders propose free college for for the masses, and you've seen them propose free or you know automatic debt forgiveness uh for people with fifty thousand dollars in debt or less so these are proposals that in my mind i can't get behind for and we can we can uh we can discuss that in in future podcasts but you know we're we're just at this point we're throwing what progressive policy to the wall we can and seeing what sticks and i don't think that's necessarily a good campaign strategy we saw that it didn't work out for beto um yeah. and uh we didn't even mention him by the way he he dropped out we we talked about that in the first episode why is he even still in yeah. and he adopted some of these progressive policies he's probably one of our listeners and so he's like ah, i'm out yes and beto if you're listening we do appreciate you increasing <laughs> the click count we called click count. the fact that he might yes you did uh, that I mean, was on I you guess he's a listener too yeah. Yes. <laughs> hey, Bloomberg, if you're listening, if you want to sponsor our podcast, let us know. Um, but really, though, uh, uh, do you see, okay, is there somebody not running right now in the Democratic side that you say if the minute they step in the race, they become the boom, they're going to win the presidency? Is there somebody like that? No. You don't think of Michelle Obama? No. So there's nobody really that you see as a Democratic superstar that's on the bench right now that could come in and... and uh, you know, seal the deal. No. And I, I think, uh, you know, they, they kind of were wanting to steer away from just the going with Bernie because he was older and Biden is older and Warren's older. And so they wanted someone young, younger that they could like lean to. And so that was the Beto hope. But then he just, he floundered. He floundered so bad after losing. I think I thought he did well against Cruz, but he never found a like foothold. In, in he this. well, he did well against Cruz because uh, the uh, the unpopularity of Cruz, as well as he he wasn't adopting radically left stances yeah. in the Senate. He race. moved way further left, and you know he was just trying to get some attention, and because the people that were popular were very far left, so he moved further left, and it was like. Whoa. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, even you know, even some of those candidates said, uh, "We we we're either not going to comment on that, or no, yeah. we don't support that." <laughs> like this guy's submitting uh, political suicide here. We're going to stay silent. And just right. Watch. <laughs> and then he dropped out of the race. Yeah. So um, I'm still surprised that there's like 150 candidates running. Uh, I think there's actually like <laughs> 17 or something, yeah. but uh, really about five of them are serious. I really thought there'd be more consolidation. I thought it would, you know, thought Tulsi Gabbard and and Kamala Harris and maybe even Booker and Castro would have already dropped out by now, but they're ha- kind of hanging on Their Their donors are floating them along. So um, as we wrap up this segment, you know, I think the key to the 2020 election really is, uh, you know, Trump has some advantages and whether we like him or not as a candidate, and that's for you all to decide, right? This is a democracy, but his advantages are the economy is strong. If it doesn't falter between now and then, and Josh mentioned there's some layoffs possible, you know, that some people fear a recession could be happening, um, you know, and that's something we want to watch out for. But Trump does enjoy an incumbent advantage. He has some, he has due some credit on some of the, some of his uh, policy proposals and some of his, you know, some of his uh, accomplishments. But 
you know, he has a liability as well. I mean, you look at what's going on with the Ukraine situation, the Mueller report, the, uh, you know, the, the emoluments clause is gaining traction. There's, there is no doubt that there's a cloud around Donald Trump. But again, the Democrats have to sort themselves out and say, who are we going to put forward as our best fighter for this election? And I hate to use that term, but but uh, that's what Donald Trump's going to do. He's a counterpuncher. He's one that is, he's going to try to stick it to you. He's going to make sure that you uh, pay for it for running against him. So, um, you know, what what do you think? Who do you think is going to be the nominee? Uh, does does uh, does Biden stand a chance? Is 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 Warren the person that that's going to take the Republican? I mean, the Democratic Party to the to the next level and make Trump a one term president, or is Donald Trump going to get a second term? I mean, this is going to be an interesting election. So yeah. I'd love to love for the listeners to tune into this, and um, we hope that you'll catch us on our next podcast. And uh, so long for now. <laughs> <laughs>